Hare Krishna. So, Krishna performed his pastimes in Vrindavan from his birth to he was till he was 15. There are three aspects of his pastimes in Vrindavan. Kumar pastimes that is up to five years until he was five years of age. That pastimes is called childhood pastimes or Kumar Leela. Then <coughs> Poganda Leela. Poganda Leela is from six to ten. Like uh, this Poganda Leela, when he is five years old, he was allowed to take the calves and he took the calves and he was performing his pastimes in the forest of Vrindavan. Previously it was mostly his pastimes were at home. He killed Putana at home, then Sakata Sura, Trinavarta Sura, uh, all with his, uh, all happened at home. Then his Koma, uh, Poganda Leela, uh, he started to kill the demons when he was in the pestering ground. Like uh, the first demon he killed at the time was Vatsasura. A demon came in disguise, in the guise of a calf, thinking that he would kill the kill Krishna and Balaram. But he got killed. Then Bakasura, a demon came in the form of a crane and or heron, Baka, and Krishna killed him, killed that demon. Then Aghasura, in this way all these demons were killed when he was in the forest. Then Koishor Leela, his pastimes as a as a youth, as a boy. Koishor is juvenile, juvenile from ten to fifteen. And in that pastimes, he also killed quite a few demons, and he danced with the gopis. The last few demons that Krishna killed were Arishtasura who came in the form of a bull. And you know about that because Krishna killed Arishtasura, Radharani, when Krishna approached her, she said, please don't touch me because you have become sinful. Why? Because you have killed a bull, killed a cow. Well, it was a demon. Still, he came in the form of a cow. So you killed the cow. So what can I do to uh, free myself from this sinful reaction? Okay, go travel all over the world, take a bath in all the holy, holy uh, places, in the holy ponds. Okay, will that free me from all my sinful reactions? Yes. Krishna struck the ground with his hill 
and the place just became a pond and all the holy rivers and ponds and lakes just person of personified holy places came there started to offer prayers to Krishna. All the gopis were struck with wonder and at the same time uh, feeling the embarrassment of defeat. Look, then they went and told Radharani, we have to match this fit of Krishna. And they said, okay, so we will dig a pond also. So they started to dig a pond uh, and that became, those two ponds became Shamkund and Radhakund. Uh, Krishna's pond was Shamkund where all the holy places appeared, all the holy places of the universe is assembled there. And Radharani's pond was even better than that because that pond was filled with Radharani's love, liquefied love of Srimati Radharani. So, <clears throat> this way Shamkund and Radhakund appeared and then Krishna killed another demon called Keshi, a terrible demon that came in the form of a horse. And <clears throat> it was so big that its head touched the sky and with its every step the earth was shaking as if there was an earthquake and Keshi was so ferocious that the forest that Keshi was, was living uh, that place became filled with human bones and animal bones because he was eating all those he killed so many men and animals and their bones became uh, so bones filled up the forest. So that terrible Keshi actually came to kill Krishna. And seeing Krishna, all the residents of Vrindavan were extremely afraid. And <clears throat> when the residents of Vrindavan, the devotees of Krishna, became afraid, what did they do? Krishna, Krishna, please protect me. Krishna, Krishna, please save us. So Krishna said, okay, just don't worry, I'll take care. So he went ahead of everyone. He took his chadar, tied it up uh, around his waist, and then he stood there and challenged Keshi. So Keshi came with a tremendous speed and with his front legs hit Krishna on the chest. Krishna didn't feel anything. As if an elephant has been struck with a flower garland. <laughs> and then <clears throat> Krishna tried to uh, uh, hit Krishna from his hind legs, with his hind legs, nothing happened to Krishna. But Krishna then caught Kreshi by his legs and threw him hmm, 10 Jojanas away, 80 miles away. 
Keshi fainted. Keshi got up again when it regained his senses and came charging towards Krishna. This time he came with his mouth wide open, trying to swallow Krishna. Krishna just stretched his left hand. And Keshi's mouth, although it was so big, Krishna's hand first entered into Keshi's mouth without any difficulty. This has been described just as easily a snake enters into its hole. Krishna's hand enters into Keshi's mouth, but then Krishna's hand expanded so much that it choked Keshi's throat. And here also Krishna started to emanate f heat from his hand, left hand. Keshi started to writhe in pain. And then Krishna smashed Keshi on the ground. Then he lifted Keshi up with his hind legs and started to swing him over his head. Keshi's life here left his body. There is one description in one of the Puranas that Krishna threw Keshi. When Krishna let Keshi go, Keshi's dead body went flying and landed in front of Kamsa. But by that time, Keshi's body became just a a lump of uh, flesh and bone. It's completely uh, got out of shape. <laughs> like there was, Kamsa couldn't figure out what actually happened, what fell in front of him. But then when Kamsa started to, then when Kamsa realized what it was or who it was, that it was Keshi and such a powerful demon that even the demigods couldn't confront him. Now that Keshi is killed, Keshi is dead. So Kamsa became so afraid that he started to tremble. His whole body started to shake. His hair stood up and he was uh, shaking with fear. Just like, just like as what, as it happens when somebody sees a ghost. <laughs> his hair stand up, his whole body. Uh, becomes uh, uh, all the uh, hair on the body also stands up and one starts to sh tremble with fear. That's what happened to Kamsa. So then Kamsa, at that time, uh, Bosudev was there and Bosudev, there was a smile in seeing Kamsa's condition, a smile uh, just flashed across Basudev's face. Kamsa noticed that and he was furious. He was about to kill Kamsa, now kill Basudev. But at that time Narad Muni came and told Kamsa, Kamsa, by killing him, what will you gain? Killing Basudev is not going to solve your problem. Your enemy is Krishna. So if you kill Basudev, then Krishna will become even more angry. So, rather to arrange to kill Krishna. So, <clears throat> Kamsa said, 
arranged to kill Krishna. I'm trying to kill him since the time he was born. <laughs> Do you think I spared any means? I tried my best to kill. I sent best of my men, and not men, best of my demons, <laughs> to kill him. But look what he has done. He has killed all the demons, one after another. So, then Narada told him, Kamsa, when the enemy is too strong, then you don't face him one at a time. You don't face him one by one. You gathered all your strength together and then you attack him. So, Krishna Kamsa asked, how am I going to do that? So, he said that in your position, there's the very special bow that Lord Shiva had given you. So, you make a challenge, you announce that anyone who would be able to string that bow, you will give him half of your kingdom. So, and then when all the kings will come, then you invite Krishna and then you deal with him. So all your friends will be there, so then you can uh, face Krishna with all your, with your full strength. So Kamsa liked that idea. Uh, also Narad Muni told Kamsa that uh, Krishna is actually not the son of Jasuda. This Krishna who is killing all the demons, he is actually the son of Vasudev. So Kamsa became very, very upset and that this is the eighth son who is supposed to kill him. So <clears throat> Kamsa actually called all his relatives and told about his plan. That we have to, we'll call Krishna and Balaram and we'll arrange this Dhanurjagya, a sacrifice of the bow, or worship of the bow and the whoever would be able to string the bow we will give him half of my kingdom. Now the question naturally arises Narad Muni, why Narad Muni is going to come and telling all these things and that Krishna is Vasudev's uh, son Prior to that also when Kamsa decided not to kill the firstborn, Narad Muni actually went and told him, Kamsa, eight son, how do you figure out eight son from which count? Back to front or front to back or middle to front? <laughs> so don't take a chance. So and that is why Kamsa actually killed, started to kill all the six children. So the question naturally arises, why Narad Muni is doing that? Narad Muni is going to Kamsa out of all people and telling him all the secrets. The reason actually is demigods were very concerned, very worried about Kamsa and they were waiting for Kamsa to die. And they knew that Krishna would kill him. So they wanted to accelerate Kamsa's death. Now, <clears throat> if uh, the children 
survived, then mother would take a long time to become pregnant again. But when the child is dead, uh, then mother will conceive immediately. So that's why uh, they, did, they, they requested Narad Muni to tell Kamsa, so that uh, the children, six children would be, uh, would be uh, killed. So Narada Muni was doing all that because on behalf of the demigods he was trying to accelerate Krishna, Kamsa's departure from this planet. So this is how uh, Narada Muni was the catalyst in accelerating the process. So Kamsa spoke to his relatives, uh, calling them, and he started to tell them that how this amazing child killed Putana. Putana, again, was practically Im invincible. Nobody could defeat Putana. She was so powerful. But this, as a seven-day-old baby, killed her. And that also just sucking her breast milk. And then Trinavarta, Agasura, Bakasura. It's amazing. And he lifted Govardhan Hill. As a seven-year-old boy, he lifted that. And subdued Indra. And this person must know some very special magic. <laughs> That's true. Krishna's potency is inconceivable. Kamsa could figure it out. But still, the problem is, still he wouldn't surrender to him. All of Kamsa's problem would have been solved if he surrendered to Krishna, recognizing that he was the Supreme Personality of Godhead, or recognizing that he is the most powerful. Now that is the problem with the demons. Uh, Although they get to know about Krishna's inconceivable potency and unusual uh, ability, but still they don't want to surrender to Krishna. They don't want to accept that he is the Supreme Personality. And they think that somehow or other we will be able to kill him. That is a demoniac nature. But a divine nature, just by hearing about Krishna, surrenders unto him. So that is the difference between the demigods and demons. This is an assembly of demigods, or even greater. Because just by hearing about Krishna, not that you are devotees, most of you, you are not devotees at first, at the beginning, but when you heard about Krishna, read about Krishna, you become a devotee, isn't it? So, <clears throat> where, so this is uh, the nature of the demigods, or suras, devas. They surrender unto Krishna as soon as they get to know about Krishna. We have also seen when Prabhupada went to went to America, like Prabhupada just spoke about Krishna, and so many devotees. Young boys and girls became devotees. 
So that is uh, the natural uh, characteristic of a uh, devotee. He may not be a devotee all along, but the moment he gets to hear about Krishna, the moment he gets to hear about Krishna's greatness, surrenders unto him. Whereas the demons, even though they see Krishna, even though they are experiencing Krishna's inconceivable power, even though they are being defeated and smashed time and time again, still they don't want to surrender. And you'll find there are people like that. Uh, although they are being smashed, still they won't surrender. Still they'll blaspheme Krishna. And uh, in this core, in this seminar, you will see so many such individuals. Anyway, <clears throat> so uh, and then comes also. Uh, remember that in other lives Krishna was his enemy uh, and he started to describe that how this person is so expert in changing his form and hiding his identity extremely expert uh, he appeared as a boar and killed the Hiranaksha. And then he assumed another form which is extremely unusual. Half lion and half man. And he killed another demon, Hiranakashipu. And look how, what a cheat he is. He came as a dwarf and asked only three steps of land. <laughs> from Bali Maharaj uh, who had conquered all three planetary systems as a high, disguising himself as a dwarf he came huh, as a little brahmana and said all I want is three steps of land <laughs> and Bali was prepared to give him everything he was so enchanted by this little brahmana Bali said, look, take anything you want. Uh, you have come to Bali. So you should ask for something worth its while to ask for him. He said, no, no, three steps of land is fine. <laughs> because it's a greed is not good. Because the more you get, the more, the more you want, the more you want. The uh, more you want to get. So after all, what more do we need? Three steps is good enough to lie down. And when you leave our body, that's the place that we'll be occupying. So, just give us three steps of land. So, little dwarf asked for three steps of land, but what did he do? He assumed a gigantic form and covered up the whole, all three universe, all three planetary systems. You see, this is how deceptive this Krishna is. So, we also have to be equally deceptive to deal with him. And <clears throat> so then huh, he also mentioned that uh, uh, he uh, about how he is going to invite Krishna and Balaram and he requested Akrura to go. 
So Akru also is a, in a way, is his uncle. No, is his cousin actually. Said Akrura, you go and invite him. So, <clears throat> and you should go and tell. And he said, see, I'm his uncle. I didn't see him for so long. <laughs> I'm really yearning to see him. Ever since his birth, uh, I haven't seen him. And uh, so, your uncle, my dear, <laughs> is eagerly waiting to see your beautiful face. <laughs> so then, <clears throat> he also told Akrura, you, could, you should go and tell Nanda, the king of the Gopas, cowherd folks, that they should collect their tax, all their uh, dues, to pay tax and all the milk product to supply the milk and milk product for this festivity. So Akrura went, took the chariot, the golden chariot of Kamsa, and went to Dwar went to Brindavan. And when he arrived, it was evening, and in the pestering ground, he saw Krishna and Balaram. Comes Akrura offered his obeisances to Krishna. <clears throat> and Krishna and Balaram also were very respectful towards him, embraced him, and asked about the welfare of the, their relatives in Mathura. And Akrura then was taken to Nanda Maharaj's house. Nanda Maharaj also hmm, greeted him. Uh, with a lot of respect uh, and <clears throat> then finally uh, the night was spent before that he spent some time with Krishna also uh, that he told Krishna that uh, Narada told Kamsa that he was actually the son of Vasudev and hearing that and recognizing Krishna is his arch enemy, Kamsa actually made this arrangement to kill him. Krishna just smiled, didn't say anything. And so then <clears throat> Nanda Maharaj uh, informed all the cowherd folks that they have to collect all the milk and milk product, put them in the carts and go to Mathura. In the morning, uh, the gopis saw this chariot uh, in front of uh, Krishna's house, Nanda Maharaj's house, and they wondered, why is this chariot here? What happened? And then they got to know that Kamsa, the king, has sent the chariot to take Krishna to Mathura. The gopis could not tolerate the separation from Krishna for the time of the wink of an eye. The time it takes to close the eyes from time to time, the eyes naturally closes. And during that time, they couldn't see Krishna. 
they could tolerate they tolerate that uh, moment of inability to see krishna and they uh, actually complained uh, they actually uh, criticized brahma and look what kind of body he created with eyes that blink couldn't he make an eye that wouldn't blink that old man doesn't have any sense <laughs> so this was the gopis attitude towards krishna this was their attachment to krishna and now this person has come to take krishna away to mathura and uh, so for so long they won't be able to see krishna so they considered see the word akrura krura means cruel and akrura means one who is not cruel uh, so his name is one who is not cruel actually his name should have been cruel for cruelty personified <laughs> like what kind of name he got quite unbecoming to his character uh, so he should have been named as cruelty personified and <clears throat> then when the time came akrura to krishna and balaram on the chariot and he was driving the chariot and then the gopis uh, tried to stop some were holding on to the wheels of the chariot trying to stop it some got hold of the horses uh, some were pulling it from back from behind some even laid down in front of the chariot over my dead body you'll take krishna <laughs> i see so that is the picture uh, how the gopis were trying to stop akrura to take krishna away so then krishna consoled them please uh, let me go i'll come back the king has invited me so i have to go so this is how krishna consoled the gopis and allowed them convinced them to let him go <clears throat> and they were and so they were lamenting some of the gopis were saying oh providence you have no mercies why are you doing this to us what did we do that we are being subjected to this situation that krishna is being taken away from us so in this way we see the love of the gopis for krishna how much how intense was their love for krishna so this is the important thing about krishna's braja leela especially the gopis love for him devotion actually means love and the gopis love for him is the was the highest another one said about complaining about providence you bring embodied creatures together in friendship and love and then and then senselessly separate them before they fulfill their desire 
So that is how you are taking <coughs> Krishna away from them. And then one gopi addressing the other gopis uh, said, and these are the uh, words from Srimad Bhagavatam. O gopis, although our Mukunda is intelligent and very obedient to his parents, once he has fallen under the spell of the honey-sweet words of the women of Mathura and been enchanted by their alluring, shy smiles, how will he ever return to us? unsophisticated village girls. <laughs> so this is, this shows that in deep love uh, one actually becomes envious. Uh, so gopis are feeling envy. Uh, that we are unsophisticated village girls but when Krishna goes to Mathura, these sophisticated city girls will enchant him. They are thinking from their women's point of view, girls' point of view. And Krishna will not uh, feel like coming back to us again. Then another gopi said, When the Dasarhas, Bhojas, Andhakas, Vrishnis and Satvatas see the son of Devaki in Mathura, they will certainly enjoy a great festival for their eyes, as will all those who see him traveling along the road to the city. After all, he is the darling of the goddess of fortune and the reservoir of all transcendental qualities. So in this way they were anticipating that Krishna may not come back if he goes to Mathura, because he will be surrounded by his actual... Uh, they knew, they heard, that Krishna was actually the son of Vasudeva uh, and Devaki. He is the prince and <clears throat> he will be naturally surrounded by his relatives and he won't be able to leave them and come back. He who is doing this merciless deed should not be called Akrura. <laughs> he is so extremely cruel that without even trying to console the sorrowful residents of Raja, he is taking away Krishna, who is more dear to us than life itself. So in this way, the gopis were, were talking among themselves at the thought of being separated from Krishna. Then Krishna pacified them uh, by some uh, glancing at them with love and affection. And <clears throat> then the gopis followed him for some time, they followed the chariot for some time. And then uh, Krishna requested them, please go back. Then, then at that time they just stood still there until the chariot disappeared from their vision, from their view. Mm -hmm. 
Gopis, after that, the gopis turned back without hope that Govinda would ever return to them. Full of sorrow, they began to spend their days and nights chanting about the pastimes of their, of their beloved. So this is how the chanting should be. This is one thing that we must... Actually, all these descriptions give us some very, very important instruction. So gopis were feeling the intense separation and in that state of intense separation, what did they do? They were simply chanting Krishna's names. They were chanting, they were remembering Krishna's activities, Krishna's pastimes, what Krishna was doing. So with that mood, we should actually chant the mood of separation. Otherwise, we tend to chant the holy name uh, quite mechanically. Somehow finish the 16 rounds. But it should be chanted with sincere feelings. Then when the chariot came to Jamuna, Krishna and Balaram uh, alighted from, got down from the chariot, touched um, the water of Jamuna and did Achuman and came and sat down on the chariot. At that time Akrura heard, Akrura asked whether he could take a bath in Jamuna. Krishna said, yes, fine, go, take your bath. So when Akrura went to Jamuna to take his bath, then all of a sudden he saw Krishna and Balaram also there in Jamuna. And he was surprised. Krishna Balaram was on this chariot. Now how come Krishna Balaram is here? So then he went to the chariot and saw that Krishna Balaram was still sitting there. So he came back and now he saw something amazing. He saw Anantashesha, milk white, with thousands of heads, as if the Sumeru mountain with its range. Huge body. All his heads were decorated with crowns. And Krishna is lying on his, Narayan was lying on his uh, serpentine bed. And he saw all the Siddhas and Charanas and sages and demigods were offering prayers to Krishna. So seeing that, uh, he saw Anantushe adorned with a helmet, bracelet and armlet, which are all bedecked with many priceless jewels, and also with a belt, a sacred thread, necklace, ankle bells and earrings. The Lord shone with dazzling effulgence. In one hand he had a lotus flower, 
in the others a conch shell, discus and club, gracing his chest towards the Shivatsa mark, the brilliant coast of a gem and a flower garland. This is how he saw Krishna on the on Ananta's bed. Encircling the Lord and worshipping him were Nanda, Sunanda and his other personal attendants. Sanaka and the other Kumaras, Brahma, Rudra and other chief demigods, the nine chief Brahmanas and the best of the saintly devotees headed by Prahlad, Narad and Uparichara Bashu. Each of these great personalities were worshipping the Lord by chanting sanctified words in praise in his own unique mood. Also in attendance were the Lord's principal internal potencies, Sri, Pushti, Gir, Kanti, Kirti, Tushti, Ila and Urja, as were his material potencies, Vidya, Avidya and Maya, and his internal pleasant internal pleasure potency, Shakti. As Akrura saw that, he became extremely pleased, extremely enchanted in his heart, and enthused, felt enthused with transcendental devotion. His intense ecstasy caused his bodily hairs to stand on ends and tears to flow from his eyes, drenching his entire body. Somehow managing to steady himself, Akrura bowed his head to the ground. Then he joined his palms in supplication and in a voice choked with emotion, very slowly and attentively began to pray. So these prayers, some of these uh, uh, prayers I have selected, and they are so beautiful. Actually these prayers are very wonderful way to recognize the glory of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. When these pure devotees of the Lord offer their prayers, they become the very wonderful means to recognize the greatness of the Lord and develop our attachment to Him. So one such prayer was, Earth, water, fire, air, ether, and its source, false ego. The Mahatattva, the total material nature and her source, the Supreme Lord's Purusha expansion, the mind, the senses, the sense objects and the senses presiding deities. All these causes, all these causes of the cosmic manifestation are born from your transcendental body. So Krishna is the source of everything. What is, what is the uh, immediate manifestation? The five elements. Earth, water, fire, air, ether. This perceivable world is a combination of uh, these five elements. What is the source of these five elements? False ego. What is the source of false ego? Mahatattva. This is how it is going from one to another. Uh, then what is the source of Mahatattva? Actually Mahatattva is 
the total material energy, the total material nature. And her source, uh, the source of material nature is Lord's Purusha incarnation, uh, Vishnu. Vishnu uh, is Lord's Purusha incarnation and the Purusha incarnation is the source of the material nature. And in this way, the mind, the senses, the sense objects and the senses presiding deities, uh, all these causes of the cosmic manifestation, all these causes of the cosmic manifestation is emanating from, where is it coming from? Krishna. So this way we can see the Vedas give us such a profound scientific understanding of creation. Like when we see this concept of creation as opposed to the so-called scientific concept of uh, Big Bang Theory or uh, Primordial Soup uh, becomes such a, such a crazy and childish concept. And that is another problem with the modern science. Modern science is actually demoniac science. It is demoniac because they decided, they have resolved that they are not going to accept God. They have decided they have nothing to do with God. The moment somebody accepts that God's existence or God is the source of everything, they say, you copped out, you are not a scientist anymore. So this is, you can see how demoniac it is. The moment you try to establish uh, the Supreme Personality of Godhead as the cause of all causes, then immediately they reject you. You see how uh, they are the uh, they are the Chelas of Kamsa. <laughs> Just as Kamsa would not accept Krishna no matter what. Similarly, these personalities are not going to accept the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And in order to prevent, in order to defy that, in order to deny that, they come up with all kinds of theories, which is simply, simply nonsensical doesn't make any sense. Who will ever accept that life came uh, from matter? Life came from chemicals. But the whole world believes that because the whole world is being dictated by them, dominated by them. And our point is, uh, create life then. If life came from matter, show it. Uh, you have made such advancement and all the materials are there, all the chemicals are there, all the conditions you can create, so create life. And our, ch our challenge is actually not that they have to go that far to create life. We say create a seed of an apple. Just create a, a grain of rice in your laboratory. What to speak of creating life? Can the modern scientists 
ever create a grain of rice in their laboratory? Just one grain of rice? Can they create a one grain of wheat? Can they create one grain of barley? No. So that is the extent of the scientific advancement. Therefore we can see all they are doing is bluffing. Uh, once there was an article in the Back to Godhead, the scientists bluff. It was Prabhupada's, uh, Prabhupada's lecture. And the title was Scientist's Bluff. And what to speak of, you know, how impossible it is to create such a thing. Actually, the other day I was talking to a scientist and I was telling him a simple way, like I was, he was, he was open, he was, listen, he was ready to accept and I just pointed out one thing that did you ever consider the difference between organic and inorganic materials, substance in chemistry? How many of you have done chemistry here? Huh? Okay, so you know the organic chemistry and inorganic chemistry, right? Huh? Now, did you ever consider what makes it organic? What makes the branch, what is the branch of chemistry that is called organic chemistry? You know, in simple words, although the, the chemists, modern scientists do not know that, but at least you can consider, organic chemistry is dealing with the substance that is coming from living source. And inorganic are the substance that are coming from dead source, material source. Uh, like all the metals, etc., acids, and alkalis and so forth. But organic is uh, that are coming from living source. And these things that are coming from living source or termed as organic, they are actually, they have very complex molecular structure. Like for example, the simplest I'll just take one sim the simplest organic structure. The simplest organic structure is methane, methane gas. Uh, so methane has a formula of CH4. That means one carbon and four hydrogens, right? So uh, carbon has four uh, hands and with four hands carbon is holding four hydrogens. Uh, now that's a simple uh, structure. And do you know something? Scientifically in their laboratory they cannot produce methane. They can't make one carbon. There's plenty of carbon, there's plenty of hydrogen, but they can't make methane out of that. If they could, uh, then all the energy problem would have been solved. Uh, if they could create methane in their laboratory, combining comb carbon and hydrogen, then there wouldn't have been any problem of energy. Like there would be unlimited energy uh, produced in their laboratory or factory. 
they can't do it. Why? Because its source is living. It's coming from living source. That you know how methane is generated? When the weeds rot, methane is generated. When trees and plants and things rot, the methane is generated. Like what is produced out of rotting of vegetables, they can't produce that in their laboratory. <clears throat> okay, another very simple structure, uh, organic structure is sugar. Uh, what's sugar's formula? C6, H12, O6. That means C6 and 6H2O. Right? 6H2O makes it uh, 12 hydrogen and 6 oxygen. That means sugar is a combination of carbon and water. But did they ever succeed in making sugar in their laboratory? No. If they could, uh, if they could take carbon and if they could take water and make sugar, then the all uh, food problem would have been solved. Or uh, at least all alcohol problem would have been solved. <laughs> but they can't make it. Because the source of sugar is not just carbon and water, but it is actually the, the sugar cane plant that is converting that carbon and water into sugar. But so this is actually taking us, even this proper approach takes us to another consideration. The incredible ability of a living entity. What a living entity can produce without any effort with greatest scientific endeavor that cannot be achieved. So that is the origin, that is how wonderful the living entities are. That is how wonderful Krishna's spiritual energy is. So in this way, even from scientific approach, we can so easily come to understanding the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Whereas we are seeing in this prayer, uh, Akrura is so wonderful, is in such a sublime way, is uh, recognizing the glory of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Earth, water, fire, air, ether. What's the earth source of earth, water, fire, air and ether? False ego. What's the source of false ego? Mahatattva. So the source of Mahatattva, material nature. Source of material nature is you. So you are the cause of all causes. <coughs> and then Akura is saying, goodness, passion and ignorance, the qualities of your material nature entangle all conditioned living beings from Brahma down to the non-moving creatures. 
that means trees and plants. Everyone, every living entity in this material nature is affected by the three modes of material nature. They become entangled by them. I offer my obeisances to you, who as the supreme soul of all beings, witness everyone's consciousness with unbiased vision. The current of your material modes produced by the force of ignorance flows strongly among the living beings who assume identities as demigods, humans and animals. So you can see how profound was Akrura's understanding of Krishna and his energy, his ability. I'll repeat this one to see how beautiful it is. I offer my obeisances to you, who as the supreme soul of all beings, witness everyone's consciousness with unbiased vision. Uh, who is that? Supreme soul? Super soul. Being situated in the heart of every living entity, he is witnessing everyone in an unbiased way. He is totally impartial. Uh, he is not displaying his favor to anyone and not to others. He is equally disposed to everyone. Mm. That is how the super, as the super soul, he is witnessing everyone's consciousness. And yes, there is one consideration here. He is waiting in our hearts to see when we are going to turn our face towards Him. That is why Krishna is there in our hearts as a super soul. Simply waiting for us to turn our face towards Him. And when He does that, then He takes us in His loving embrace. Come back. Come back to me, my son. Come back to me, my friend. So this is how Krishna is actually waiting for us to turn towards Him. And when we do that, Krishna becomes so happy. <clears throat> to enjoy your pastimes, you manifest yourself in various forms in this material world. And these incarnations cleanse away all the unhappiness of those who joyfully chant your glories. Who chants His glories joyfully? His devotees. So appearing here, Krishna simply increases the joys of his devotees through his pastimes. O Supreme Lord, the living entities in this world are bewildered by your illusory energy. Becoming involved in the false concept of I and my, they are forced to wander along the paths of fruitive work. Uh, so you can see the depth of his understanding. Uh, he is declaring who are the people who are actually uh, wandering in this world. Those who are simply concerned about the concept of me and mine. Mm, based on this bodily identity. I am this body. Me means I am this body. 
and whatever is in relation to this body is mine and what is that doing that is tying him down to this material nature therefore sometimes people don't like to come to this kind of programs uh, because these programs directly or indirectly tell everyone to give up his attachment to his family and friends <laughs> but what to do that is what we need to understand fine uh, to develop this family relationships and attachments it's, it's nice but ultimately what is doing it is causing a deep strong bond a knot in the heart which is going to tie the soul down to this material nature it may sound it may appear to be so pleasing so wonderful but the thing is ultimately what it is causing is causing the hridaya granthi knots in the hearts which is going to tie us down to this material nature and it will become extremely difficult to leave this body when the time comes all these attachments are going to drag us down now does it mean that everyone should leave his family and go to himalayas <laughs> no the simple solution to that is instead of considering this your to be your family or your possession your accumulation your wealth you consider that this actually belongs to krishna a simple way not my family but krishna's family after all krishna is the supreme proprietor everyone belongs to krishna so let's see that how everyone is belong to everyone belongs to krishna and then we get to see that yes we are developing this attachment to each other because krishna put us in this situation with certain purpose what is the purpose to serve him our business is to serve him so the situation that we are in that some individual souls that we have come together let us consider that it is krishna's arrangement to serve him in this situation and krishna is putting his devotees in this situation so our children are krishna's children they krishna put us in that condition and there we are their custodian we are their caretaker and in this respect we can consider how wonderful the vedic concept is you know in the vedic concept a girl does not belong to the parents daughter doesn't belong to the parents the parents are only the custodians and who is the owner of the daughter her husband don't you see that huh? there are so many husbands here you went and claimed the daughter and they became yours and she had to sever all her relationships with their uh, previous family 
So, just as that we develop that understanding, the parents of daughters uh, develop the understanding that they actually belong to the husband. And they bring up the daughter with that understanding and they consider that it is their responsibility to hand over the daughter to the rightful owner in due course of time. And they do that. They consider that's, a, that's their responsibility. So if we can go that far, so why don't you go a little further and consider not only the daughters, daughters and sons, wives and everyone belongs to Krishna. And I am their caretaker. I am endowed with the responsibility to take care of them. And in due course of time, I have to leave or they have to leave. So when the time comes, uh, we go back to our master. Is it a very difficult thing to do? How come everyone is so silent? <laughs> is it a very difficult thing to do? To recognize that, every, that Krishna is the supreme proprietor and everything belongs to Krishna. Everyone belongs to Krishna. Even we belong to Krishna individually. I am not mine. I belong to Krishna. And let Krishna do whatever he wants to do with me. That should be our attitude and that is uh, called devotional attitude. So, <clears throat> with that understanding, a devotee approaches Krishna. I'll read this, uh, this paragraph again, uh, this prayer. O Supreme Lord, the living entities in this world are bewildered by your illusory energy. Is it clear? Living entities in this world are bewildered by his illusory energy. And this illusory energy, what this illusory energy is making us think? That I am this body. This body is me. And anything that is in relation to the body, the body's father, body's mother, body's brother, body's friend, body's husband, wife or husband, and body's children and so forth, they all are mine. But this illusory energy of the Lord, what is causing? It is causing us to get tied down to this material nature. And that is called mamata. A feeling of mine. And eventually what it does, it causes us, it causes it very, very difficult. It makes it very difficult to leave them when the time comes to leave. But the solution to that is, Krishna, please take care of me, and everyone because I belong to you. Then immediately what will happen? The illusory energy will become ineffective. 
the moment we surrender to krishna the illusory energy will become ineffective ineffective to us all her spell will immediately be dispelled Nenakuru is saying, I am also deluded in this way, O my Almighty Lord, foolishly thinking my body, children, home, wife, money and followers to be real, though they are actually as unreal as a dream. So all these are unreal as a dream. So this is again, you can say, this is summing up everything. Thus mistaking the temporary for the eternal, my body for myself, and sources of misery for sources of happiness. I have tried to take pleasure in material dualities, covered up in this way by ignorance, I could not recognize you as the real object of my love. Uh, this is the sum and substance of all prayers. Mm. Mistaking the... What is happening? What is the illusory energy doing? Mistaking the temporary to be real. Mistaking this body to be the self. Uh, mistaking the source of misery as a source of happiness. This is a very, very important thing to understand. Uh, mistaking the source of misery to be the source of happiness. In simple words we can say, in the material nature, whatever we consider to be the source of happiness is actually a source of misery. You try to enjoy, you will end up suffering. That is the reality. Anyway, huh? <clears throat> so then after offering prayers to Krishna in this way, in the water, Akrura went back to the chariot. And when he went back to the chariot, Krishna asked him, Akrura, it looks like you saw something unusual. <laughs> and then, huh? something unusual in the sky or in the earth or in the water. From your appearance, we think you have. And Akrura's reply was, Whatever wonderful things the earth, sky or water contain, all exist in you, all exist in you. Since you encompass everything, when I am seeing you, what I have not seen. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> huh? Just by seeing Krishna, Everything is seen, because Krishna is the source of everything. And now that I am seeing you, O Supreme Absolute Truth, in whom reside all amazing things on this earth, in the sky and in the water, what amazing things could I see in this world? So, uh, now one wonderful thing about here, that actually hasn't been mentioned in the Bhagavatam, 
that has been disclosed by the Goswamis is that there are two Krishnas. One is Krishna, the son of Vasudev and Devaki, who is Vasudev, and the other is the son of Jasoda and Nanda Maharaj, who is known as Brajendra Nandan or Nanda Nandan or Jasoda Nandan. When Vasudev brought Krishna after his birth to the house of Nanda Maharaj, there were actually two babies on the bed, but in darkness he couldn't see that. He just saw the girl and he placed the boy, Krishna, and picked up the girl and he went back. And at that time, Krishna, the son of Vasudev, merged into Krishna, the son of Nanda Maharaj. Can Krishna do that? Because after all, Vasudev Krishna is Krishna's expansion. So he merged into Krishna, Nanda Nanda Krishna, who is the original Supreme Personality of Godhead. So Krishna, Vasudev Krishna became one with Nanda Nanda Krishna. But here, when Akrura was taking Krishna to Mathura, at this point, Nanda Nanda Krishna went back to Vrindavan and Akrura brought Vasudev Krishna to Mathura. Anyway, in course of our discussions, this will again be further revealed. I will describe in more details. So, this is the point. Krishna, Brajanarandan Krishna is the original Supreme Personality of Godhead. And he never leaves Vrindavan. Vrindavanam Parittajya Kutra Kadapi Nagachati. He never leaves anywhere leaving. He never leaves Vrindavan and goes anywhere else. So Vasudev Krishna was brought to Mathura. Vasudev Krishna. So when they came at the outskirt of the city, they found that Nanda Maharaj and other cowherd people have already arrived there. The question comes, Akrura came on riding on a chariot, taking Krishna Balaram. How come Nanda Maharaj, carrying all this load in bullock carts, arrived there earlier? The answer is, this cowherd people knew a shortcut to Mathura. Whereas Akrura took the royal road, uh, driving the chariot. So Nanda Maharaj and others were already, all the cowherd people were there. So when Krishna and Balaram arrived, so Akrura wanted to take Krishna and Balaram to his house. But Krishna said, no, not now. But I will go to your house after I fulfill my mission. I have come here to kill Kamsa, so let me first kill Kamsa and then I'll go to your house. And so Krishna took his bath, took some prasad, not prasad, bhoga, <laughs> and uh, 
So, and then towards the evening, they decided to go and see the city of Mathura. So there is a beautiful description of Mathura. Anyway, uh, it's running. <laughs> I will not go into the details. That shows what a gorgeous city Mathura was. Full of uh, multi-storied buildings, not just like uh, matchbox structures, uh, with beautiful turrets and domes and decorated with, uh, with gold and jewels and uh, with large balconies and windows, carved windows and all those buildings are made out of precious, semi-precious jewels, uh, semi-precious materials and <clears throat> the roads were wide uh, not like, to, nowadays I don't know why in India all the roads, old cities, roads are so narrow. Whereas from Bhagavatam we get, which was given 5,000 years ago, we get the descriptions of wide roads, very wide roads. Uh, and also decorated with all kinds of mm, decorative materials. And <laughs> the people, there, they were people there and the, there were fragrant flowers and fruit trees on the by the side of the roads uh, like there was uh, practically flower gardens along the side of the roads beautiful buildings wide roads with gardens along the roads and the dark gardens were not only in the houses but also in the roads and mind you uh, the city of Mathura was being uh, dominated by a demon, Kamsa. Even a demon has such uh, beautiful taste. <laughs> so Krishna and Balaram along with Krishna suggested, so let's go and see the city. So they went out and all the cowherd boys said, yeah, yeah, let's go, let's go, let's see the city. They're all village boys, apparently. So they came to the city and then Krishna saw that some washermen, uh, they are carrying uh, the dyed and uh, cleaned uh, clothes. So Krishna approached them and said, Look, washermen, you are carrying so many clothes and we just came from the village, so our dress is not very, uh, very polished and sophisticated. But you see, we came here as the guest of the king, so we should be properly dressed. So will you please give us some nice dress to wear? The washerman became furious. He said, these are the dresses for the king. How dare you desire these dresses, you impudent village boys? And in this way he kept on blaspheming Krishna. So Krishna just moved his hand and his head got chopped. <laughs> just his hand chopped his head off. 
And seeing that, all the other washermen ran for their life. <laughs> then Krishna and Balaram opened the uh, that that bag, the bundle of clothes, and selected some nice ones, and they put on, and let all the cowherd boys also put on those dresses. Then one weaver came. Uh, and on his own, he actually pulled out some beautiful shawls and things and decorated Krishna. So Krishna was so pleased, said that just because you have done that, in this life you will enjoy uh, the wealth that is unimaginable even by a king. And after this life you will go back to spiritual sky. So see, this is the reward for rendering devotional service. You render some service with love to Krishna and Krishna will reward you in such a wonderful way that in this life you'll enjoy a kind of a life that even a king cannot imagine. And after this life, you'll go back to Godhead. So isn't it a good proposal to become a devotee? <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, there was a flower garland maker flower, flower man his name is Sudama so Sudama saw Krishna and Balaram and invited please come, please come to my house and he made some exquisite flower garlands and decorated Krishna with those garlands Krishna also blessed Sudama in the same way. That he will become my associate in the spiritual world. Then Krishna became curious to find out where that uh, Dhanur Jagga going to be. Where the bow was kept. It was a massive bow. The size of three tall trees. And Kamsa actually made a challenge that if anybody could string that bow, he would give half the kingdom. So <clears throat> Krishna inquired from people, can you tell me where is that place where that uh, sacrifice is going to take place, where the ceremony is going to take place? So people pointed out, yeah, it's there. So Krishna walked to the thing. Uh, that place. And that, you see, that bow, nobody could actually lift that bow. It was so heavy. Well, what Krishna did, with his left hand he lifted the bow. And he just <laughs> looked at it, swung it around a few times. And all the guards became furious. What are you doing? You're spoiling the whole sacrifice. But before they could even approach Krishna and Balaram, Krishna strung the bow and playfully as he pulled the string, the bow broke. And it was such a powerful bow that when it broke, it seemed like there was the whole creation is coming to an end. It created such a sound. Kamsa became curious to find out what happened, what happened. 
And then Kamsa was told that uh, this Krishna broke that bow. Again, Kamsa had a uh, fit of uh, fear. He started to tremble uncontrollably. Uh, he started to tremble in fear. And he ordered, uh, kill him, kill him. So all his soldiers immediately ran. And in the meantime, the guards were also trying to confront Krishna. So Krishna took, broke the bow. So Krishna, when they attacked, Krishna took half the bow, broken half of the bow, and Balaram took the other half of the bow. And with that, they beat the soldiers to death. So after that, they went back to the place where Nanda Maharaj and other cowherd people were there. They created a kind of a circle, half circle with the carts, as a kind of a barricade. And there, this, they spent the night. <clears throat> that night, two people couldn't sleep. Kamsa and Nanda Maharaj. Kamsa was, Kamsa couldn't sleep due to the anxiety that next day he'll have to confront Krishna and who knows what will happen. And the whole night, although Kamsa was lying on his bed, he had nightmares. He started to see all kinds of terrible things in front of him. And Nanda Maharaj couldn't sleep because Nanda Maharaj was worried that now we are within Kamsa's territory. And probably tonight his men will come and harm us. But others, they all slept like a log. <laughs> so in the morning Kamsa woke up and he made all the arrangements. Krishna and Balaram also woke up, got ready. So... <clears throat> Kamsa invited all the kings and all the citizens. They all came and sat on gallery on the wrestling area, around the wrestling area. And Kamsa had for him, there was a, he and his special guest has a VIP lounge, <laughs> like uh, elevated platform, very beautifully decorated and Kamsa surrounded by his associates was sitting there. Krishna and Balaram came and as they came to the palace gate, they found a huge elephant just blocking the road, blocking the entrance. So Krishna told the Mahut, the elephant driver, please move your elephant, let's go in. But when Krishna did that, the instead of moving, he uh, goaded that elephant and made it charge towards Krishna. So the elephant came to charge towards Krishna and uh, took Krishna uh, by its trunk, with his trunk. But uh, it lifted Krishna as if these elephants, they uh, pick up the person with uh, wrapping its body around with his trunk and the smash on the ground. But before the elephant could do that, Krishna slipped out of his trunk. 
and then Krishna went under the belly of the elephant and the elephant started to look where Krishna is and he started to <laughs> whirl around but Krishna was just <laughs> under his belly hiding there and then Krishna came out as soon as Krishna came out the elephant tried to gore him with his tusks but Krishna just stepped aside and it struck the hard ground with his tusk became the elephant became even more furious so in this way Krishna played with the elephant for a while then after that Krishna pulled the elephant with its trunk you can see that and that is Kubalaya Pira elephant with his trunk and the elephant fell Krishna got hold of its tusk huge tusk and pulled the tusk out of its body and with the tusk Krishna started to beat the elephant to death and he also killed the Mahut the elephant driver to death then Krishna took one tusk of the elephant and Balaram took the other tusk of the elephant as a trophy and walked into the arena. Now Kubalaya Pira was also invincible. Nobody could defeat or uh, kill Kubalaya Pira. And Kamsa saw another fit of Krishna. Like this elephant is now dead. And it has been described, Krishna looks so beautiful. Already Krishna's face was decorated with sandalwood paste. And now his face was sprinkled also with the blood from the elephant. So it was as if white chandan and red chandan was decorating Krishna's face with the tusk in his hand and his hand red with the blood of Kubalaya Pira. Krishna's dark bluish body, uh, brilliant bluish, bluish body with reddish hand. Krishna looked really amazingly beautiful. So he walked into the arena. And <clears throat> to face the challenge. So Chanur, uh, Kamsa's wrestlers, they are also undefeatable. They have never been defeated by anybody. Chanur and Mushtik, they are five brothers. Chanur, Mushtik, Kuta, Shal and Toshal. So Chanur challenged Krishna or rather told him that the king is the supreme proprietor. King is the proprietor of his citizens and the citizens business is to please the king. So it is very nice that you have come to give pleasure to the king. We have heard that you are very expert in wrestling. We heard that you always wrestle with each other and you are very expert. So it's very nice that you have come uh, to please the king. And in this bout you may die. But what's the harm? Uh, by giving up his body for the sake of the king, one achieves inconceivable piety. 
So take advantage of this good fortune of yours that has come on its own accord. Uh, be prepared to give up your body uh, for the sake of your king. Krishna said, fine, but generally the wrestling takes place among the equals. Now, we are little children and you are such powerful wrestlers. Do you think it's a right match? So Chanur said, you may look like a child, but you are not a child. <laughs> Last night you broke that bow as if it was a child's play. <laughs> and just now you killed Kuvalayapira. Who could ever do that? Even the demigods cannot do that, couldn't do that. Uh, so Krishna said, okay, good that you realize that. So now you be ready for your death. <laughs> and by giving up your body for the sake of your king, you will get inconceivable piety. <laughs> And in this way, challenging each other, talking to each other, uh, they got into a wrestling bout. Uh, Chanur attacked Krishna and Mushtika attacked Balaram. Chanur came and struck Krishna in the chest. His, his striking could be so, generally was so powerful that when he struck anybody, no matter how powerful that person was, would immediately start to vomit blood. But Krishna didn't budge. He stood there as if it was just a wind touching his body. <laughs> and then huh, they started to fight. And <clears throat> a terrible fight ensued. Uh, Krishna and Bal Krishna was fighting with Chanura and people were crying, no, 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 this is not the right match, This, it's unfair, what kind of a king Kamsa is, everybody knows that he's so wicked and now see what you know, his wicked deed is being displayed in public. He got this child, children, two children to fight with this uh, mountain-like wrestlers. But although they were crying like that, but eventually uh, Krishna caught Chanura and he swung him over his head for a few times and then he smashed him on the ground. And Chanura's life had left his body. And Balaram struck him so hard in the chest, Mushtika started to vomit and his body became a lump of flesh lying on the ground. So seeing that their other brothers uh, Kuta, Shal and Toshal came and attacked uh, Krishna and Balaram and very easily Krishna and Balaram killed them. Then came all the other wrestlers and they jointly attacked Krishna and Balaram and Krishna and Balaram dealt with them in a similar way and seeing that Kamsa stood up and started to shout throw him out of the city and kill all their followers, Ugrasen, Basudev, Devaki. So 
they are already in the prison and they just kill them. Somebody go and do this for me. So when Kamsa was shouting like that, Krishna just jumped onto that that platform where Kamsa was. Kamsa pulled out his sword and his shield to attack Krishna. But Krishna, without caring for that, he just struck him on the head with his bare hand. Kamsa's head started to spin. <laughs> his turban went flying. Then Krishna grabbed him by his hair and threw him out of the dais onto the wrestling arena. Then Krishna jumped onto him like a lion jumps onto an elephant. And then Krishna just started to hit him. I think that picture is here also. So Chanur and Mushtik is there. Yeah, there is where it is. So you can picture how Krishna took care of Kamsa. <coughs> so in this way, Kamsa was killed. And all the demigods in excitement started to sing the glory of Krishna, saying, Jai, Jai. And they started to shower flowers from the heaven. And then Krishna went to the prison of Kamsa and released his father and mother and Ugrasen. And then Krishna made Ugrasen the king. Ugrasen told him that, look, I am old and now Kamsa's friends will come and attack Mathura. And I don't really have the strength to deal with them. So Krishna, you become the king. So <clears throat> Krishna said, no, we, those who belong to the line of Jodhu, cannot become the king. We have been cursed by Jajati. Do you want to hear the how Jadus were cursed by Jajati? <laughs> okay. Okay, we have about 15 minutes. Let's see. <clears throat> Where should I start? Okay. The demigods and demons are fighting. Hmm. They had been fighting uh, all the time. It was a natural animosity that the demons had towards demigods. Because the demons felt that although they belong to the same family, the demigods have all the facilities. Uh, they live in heavenly planets, they have control over the universal affairs and so forth. Uh, whereas they don't have any control. They live in dungeons and so forth, in the lower planetary systems. So that's why from time to time they would attack the demigods. And in the battle when the demons were killed, their guru Shukracharya had the uh, mantra by which he could revive them. That is called Mrita Sanjeevani Mantra. Mrita means dead and Sanjeevani means reviving. The mantra that would revive the dead and bring them back, 
bring them back to life. So, and as a result of that, the demigods were having difficulty because the demons were killed, but then again they will be revived by Shukracharya. So, <clears throat> the demigods approached, they didn't have, their guru, Brihaspatiya, didn't have that mantra. So, they approached and Brihaspatiya and asked what to do. So, they finally decided that Brihaspati's son, Koch, will go to the go to Sukracharya, become his disciple, and somehow or other learn that mantra. So <clears throat> Koch went and although Sukracharya knew that he was a son of Brihaspati and although he knew what his intention was, uh, but still he accepted him as his son, as his student. Shishya. Now, when the demigods, when the demons got to know that Koch came with that intention of learning this Mrita Sanjivani mantra from Shukracharya, they cut him to pieces. But Shukracharya's daughter Devjani fell in love with Koch. So she would always request her father, please, father revive him. So Shukracharya would revive Kach. So the demons would kill him, cut his body into pieces and Shukracharya will bring him back to life. So <clears throat> then the demigods, the demons seeing what is happening, they decided that they, this time they would kill him, cut him into pieces and f make Sukracharya, Sukracharya eat him. They would make a nice curry <laughs> out of his body and feed Sukracharya. So that huh, if Sukracharya would revive him from his belly, he would die himself. So when he got to know that, so they realized that this is what he was going to do. Uh, or this is what has happened. Now that he is in his belly, uh, so uh, he would be dead and he won't be able to revive him. And if he does, then he would die. So he gave Kach, the Sanjivani mantra, that when he comes out of his body and then Sukracharya would be dead, then he would chant the mantra and revive Sukracharya. So this is how Kach actually got the mantra. And after getting the mantra, Koch was about to leave. So Devjani said, look, I fell in love with you, so please take me with you, accept me as your wife. Then Koch said, no, I can't. Uh, he refused. And Devjani cursed him that the mantra that you have learned, you'll never be able to use it yourself. And Koch cursed her that since you cursed me when I was innocent, uh, I curse you that you'll be married to a Kshatriya. For a Brahmana girl to marry a Kshatriya was like becoming degraded. Anyway, so Koch left, Devjani was there. And Devjani, uh, Sukracharya used to live in the palace of the 
demon king, daitya king, Vrishwaparva. And Vrishwaparva's daughter Sharmishtha was, uh, Sharmishtha and Devjani was very close friends. So one day <coughs> they went to take bath in a lake. And when they were taking bath, uh, leaving their clothes uh, on the shore, the wind blew away the, the garments and quickly when they came out uh, of the, after coming out of the water Devjani was quickly dress, dressing herself and she picked up for mistakenly she picked up Sharmishta's cloth and wore it so seeing that Sharmishta became very upset and he said that you are my uh, you, how do you dare to wear my cloth and then a fight kind of a verbal fight ensued and she uh, and call, called Devjani that after all you are staying in our house you are maintained by my father and so in this dispute Devjani threw uh, Sharmishta threw Devjani in a well and left. <coughs> Incidentally, the king Jajati was hunting in the forest at that time and he heard the cry of a woman and he came to the well and he found that this beautiful young girl there. So he rescued her from the well. So then Devjani uh, wanted to marry Jajati. Uh, so he said that, look, uh, Jajati said, look, you are a Brahmana girl. Brahmanas are superior, therefore Brahmana girl is like a mother. So how can I marry you? And Devjani re reasoned with him that, look, when you, ex when you pulled me out of the well, you held me by my hand and just by doing that you have accepted me as your wife. So he said, look, uh, then we have, you have to take permission from your father. So Sukracharya agreed. And in the meantime, when Devjani went back, reported to the father what happened, Sukracharya became extremely upset. And Shukracharya went to Brishaparva, king of the demons, and said, Look, your daughter has insulted my daughter in this way, I'm leaving. Brishaparva knew that if the guru leaves, then he'll be in great trouble. Therefore he begged him, please stay back, please stay on. So Sukracharya agreed to stay on, on one condition, that Sharmishtha, uh, king's daughter would become the maidservant of Devjani. So, <clears throat> so uh, Vishwabharva in great anxiety spoke to his daughter and Sharmishtha was so noble she said yes for the sake of the whole clan I will accept this condition. 
So then, incidentally, when Devjani got married to Jajati, uh, Sharmishta also went. But Sharmishta was so beautiful that they, Sukracharya could anticipate that king may become attracted to her. So he made a condition that you should never unite with this girl. And so he accepted that condition. And uh, through Sharmish, through uh, uh, Devjani, he got two sons, Jodhu and Turbashu. And he unfortunately developed a secret, secret, secret relationship with Sharmishta. And through Sarmishta, he got one son, uh, Druhu. And when Devjani found out, asked Sarmishta, that you are not married, now how did you get this son? So Sarmishta said, I came across one sannasi, and the sannasi gave me the blessing that by his blessing I got this son. Just his benediction, I was, I wanted to have a son and by his ashirvad, by his blessing, I got this son. So Devjani accepted that. But one day, uh, Devjani found that there are three children in a secluded place. She came, she found that King Jajati is with three little boys. So <clears throat> Devjani asked, who are your father? He developed old age. So he came to Shukracharya, beg forgiveness. Please, please, withdraw your curse. Shukracharya said, once a word leaves my mouth, it's bound to come true. But if any of your son wants to accept your old age, then you can get back your youth. So Jajati went to his son. The first son was Yadu and asked him to take his youth, take his old age and give his youth. So he refused. He said that I am already just reached my youth. I haven't never enjoyed my life. So how can I offer my youth to you? And after all, you have gone through your youth already. So. so then he cursed him that because he was the eldest son and he was supposed to get the kingdom and his line would become the king's. So he said that uh, you will never become a king and none of your family will become a king. So Krishna actually appeared in that Jadu's dynasty. And in Jadu dynasty, they were not meant to be the king. Then he went to Druhu and he also refused. He cursed him. He went to Turbashu, Anu. Then finally the youngest son, Puru, agreed to accept his youth. And he blessed him that your line will become the rulers. And that is the Puru dynasty. 
So that is how <laughs> that family, Jadu line was cursed and that is why Krishna couldn't become a king or Krishna didn't become a king. Hare Krishna, all glories to Srila Prabhupada. Gaur Premanande, Hari Hari Bo.